there's a lot of stuff going on in our community. I'm not one to shy away from stuff. I'm not here to give you an opinion over what should happen with a homeless shelter. I'm not here to give you an opinion about what should happen with the coronavirus, any of those things. That's not my, that's not my role. It's not my job. Um, but I am here to talk about, since we have both of these things going on in our community and they're very prevalent on social media and all of these things, I am here to talk about what does it look like when we love like Jesus? I'm not going to backdoor you into which, you know, which one of those things we ought to do. That's, again, that's not what I'm here for. Uh, but I do want to talk about that it's moments like these where we are faced with an opportunity. We, we should already be in these opportunities, but, but we're faced with opportunities for us to demonstrate to the world what the church is supposed to look like. And it is supposed to look like something different than the world. Our reactions, our, our, um, our attitudes should look like something different than the world. We may be coming to the same conclusions that the world does, but they should distinctly see a difference in us. And so I just want to talk today about what does it look like when we love like Jesus. But we're going to watch this video, and uh, I think, Drew, did you catch my note there on the... Awesome. I forgot to tell him right before service started. Um, this one's kind of hard to listen to. But I want you to uh, I want you to watch this this video. Two powerful things I thought that he said. Two illustrations he gave in there was we don't ask some certificate of what someone's virtue is before we save the drowning person. We don't ask them to you know tell us about what their life is and how good they are before we rescue someone from a burning building. Right? Sometimes when we perceive urgency, then we, we don't stop to ask those things. We don't stop to ask, hey, before I reach out and throw you a life preserver, if you're drowning, are you Catholic? Are you, are you independent? Are you Baptist? Are you Pentecostal? Oh, you're an atheist? I'll let you drown. Right? We don't do that, right? We don't do these things. It was in 1910... William Booth, founder of the Salvation Army. It's a challenge. It's a challenge for us to um, decide what does it look like when we, when we love um, like Jesus. That's, that, that is a definite challenge. I just want to uh, start looking at some Scripture with you. and Because again, what I want to talk about is just what, is, what does Scripture say uh, about uh, loving like Jesus? What does Scripture say about um, how we should treat or how we should respond in general to those who are, who are in need. You know, it's interesting because right now what our community is faced with is the two, I don't know if you've even thought about this, our community is faced with the two opposite ends of the spectrum right now. We're faced with a question about a homeless shelter and we're faced with a question about people who were on a cruise. Those are the two opposite ends of the spectrum. That's people that can afford to go on a cruise. The, cru the, cruise, the cruise side, Jews like, oh, the, the cruise side. You, people that are homeless can't afford to go on a cruise. So we got two opposite ends of that, of that spectrum that's going on. Uh, both happen to be in need. Don't know that, that in both that we're the answer or not. 
That's not the point of what we're going to talk about today. But we are going to talk about our attitude and, and what our point and perspective is that we should be coming from even while we're evaluating situations and determining what could be the best. We might not be the answer, but how we respond in this moment in ourselves is more important than whether we and our community is the answer or not. Because whether we're the place that people ought to be, you know, at CDP or whatever with the coronavirus or not, how you act about it either reflects Christ or it reflects Satan. There's no, two, there's no, two op, there's no third option in this. We're either going to reflect Christ or we're going to reflect not Christ. And I... I so that's just, we're just going to talk about the Scripture. Again, I, I, don't, I personally don't actually have a true opinion yet because I don't know enough about what the CDP is prepared for, not prepared for, whatever else. I see people, you know, that are working there post different things. I see other people post stuff. I, I don't really know. I'm not out there. I don't, I don't really know. That's not, that's not where we are. City Council's meeting right now. I watched just a little bit of it before. You know, I don't trust them as far as I can throw them. All right? But... I mean, that's my one political statement today. But I'm more concerned with how we, in trying to reach a world that is lost and hurting, and I saw, I saw many young people today. I have a cross-section of friends, people that I agree with, don't agree with, vehemently don't agree with, vehemently agree with. I saw different things being put out there on social media, even this morning. People going, how can you guys claim to be the church, but your attitude is so... Not toward me. (laughs) But just in general. And then I see other people, you know, being what I felt was very godly in their responses. And so I'm not responsible for all of them. I'm just responsible for trying to talk to us. So here's some some scripture that we want to look at. Drew, you may... Ah, maybe it's helping me. It's getting there. It's just slow on me today. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 31 says this. The one who oppresses the poor person insults his maker. But one who is kind to the needy honors him. Again, I'm not trying to tell you today how you need to be kind. That, that's, I think God's got to lead us in some of those things. But I'm just talking about our attitude The one who oppresses the poor person insults his maker. I have found it extremely different. I do live in Ward 4. I have not been a a proponent nor an opponent of annexation into Oxford or not. I really don't care. Um, Doesn't really matter to me. I understand why it matters to some people. Our property values have gone down tremendously. Um, I understand that people want some other school options. I know people and I'm friends with people that teach at Anniston. And I know that they care and work hard. I know that the results are still not good. I mean, I know all of those things. I'm aware of all of those things. I did, and I, and I put this on social media. I, I do find it astounding that within our own community that we have people who were very accusatory about people that wanted to be annexed by Oxford, but they have no problem with saying not in my backyard when it comes to the homeless shelter. Because they said it's going to take property values down. I said, you're so, you're so hypocritical. <laughs> you, oh, if these people want to do something, it's... It, but here's the thing. This is where... This is the hard stuff. This is real life stuff. 
This is where the church has to make a decision. This is where you as an individual Christian have to decide, are you going to be kingdom first or are you going to be you, yourself, your house, your all that stuff first? And I didn't say only because I don't believe that God called us to be stupid. God didn't call us to be unwise about our lives or anything else. But you are going to have to decide which kingdom are you going to live in first. Is it going to be the city of Aniston or is it going to be the kingdom of God? And if it's the kingdom of God, then we've got to decide and, and see what Scripture says about, well, how am I supposed to at least start my approach to something? Doesn't mean that we ought to say yes to where the homeless shelter is. Doesn't mean you ought to say yes to where the you know, coronavirus folks coming out. Doesn't mean you need to say no. What it means is you've got to start from, I am going to go at this from a Christ-like perspective first. And then figure out what what I feel like God wants after that. And, and He's given us a mind to, to use wisely. Yeah. Proverbs 14, 31, though, says, The one who oppresses the poor person insults his maker. Here's an interesting thing. If God... I know, we all know that if God was standing right here today that, that our bodies wouldn't be able to handle it and all that. But hang with me. Don't get off in the weeds. If God was standing right here today, would you look at him and insult him? Everybody goes, no. No way. He says, the one who oppresses the poor person insults his maker. Now, here's an interesting thing. You could, and and we probably could study this out and and figure out exactly how they've intended this, but I want to give you two different ideas of his maker. Whose maker is he talking about? The one who oppresses the poor person insults his maker. Is he talking about that you, if you are oppressing the poor, that you're insulting your maker? Maybe. Is he saying the one who oppresses the poor person insults the maker of the poor person? It's the same. But we don't tend to think about it that way. I was listening to a podcast uh, in the last two days about some of this, and it's a guy who has a, uh, it's uh, Grant's Pass Gospel Mission, and uh, it's in Oregon, and it's a biblical-based shelter, and and he talked about, he said, he said, we tend to dehumanize people who are poor, people who are, who are less than, than our social status, because that's what allows us then to treat them differently. And he said, actually, it's a mentality that existed in Germany. It was how the German people could be going to church, but yet turn around and be giving up Jewish people in order to go to concentration camps and to be killed and still felt they were okay because they had decided that the Jewish people were not as good as they were. It's why in our own country that we could have people writing the Constitution. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to say it today. It's why we could have people writing the Constitution and saying, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and they own slaves. It's why they could turn around and say, well, in order to... In order for us to be able to maintain our voting rights, we'll count a slave as three-fifths of a person. In order to establish how many 
How much representation we had in Washington? This is, this is the 1800s, 1700s, 1800s. And still felt like they were okay. And, and wrote things about providence and God and all of this stuff. And it's just reality. It's just reality. Because when you decide and you dehumanize any group of people, any person, any, any stratum of society, then you can decide to treat them differently in your mind and convince yourself that you're okay. The poor, we often treat this way. And you've got to keep in mind, now we, we think about the poor when we're talking about stuff like this in purely in regards to financial status, and, and that's what everybody's thinking about with the homeless shelter at this point in time. But, but that's, not the only, that's not the only sense of being impoverished that we have out here. We have people who are poor because that they, are, they are emotionally poor at the moment. It's, they're tapped out. Some of you understand that feeling because when things in your life have been going on and when you've been challenged and it's like that you never get relief of what's happening, you're just poor emotionally. you got nothing in reserve. You've got nothing left in the tank to be able to give to anybody else. You feel like it's a struggle just to try to be nice to people <laughs> because you just you, you, it's, it's overwhelming. It's coming at you. You go to work all day. You got to be gen, you know, somewhat generally nice to people. Some of you got a position, you have to kind of be really nice to people because they're your direct customers. You turn around and go home and there's challenges there. You don't get a break. The one who oppresses the poor person insults his maker. We insult God when we treat people who are poor in spirit, who are poor in finances, who are poor emotionally, who whatever it is that they're impoverished in. We insult God. You say, well, I'm not trying to oppress them. Well, what are you doing to help lift them up? See, sometimes we like, oh, I want to be in the middle. We're going to be Switzerland and everything. I'm going to be neutral. Really doesn't work. The Bible says, talking about serving God and serving Satan, says that, that, that you can only serve one master. You can't serve two. You're going to love one and hate the other, or you love that one and you hate the other. We don't really get a choice as Christians to say, well, I'm going to stay neutral in this because God is not neutral. God's not neutral on any topic. And if we're going to be like Christ and we're going to follow after our Father, God, then we can't be neutral. Well, I don't want to offend anybody. Then don't be a jerk. But you can't be neutral. But the one who is kind to the needy honors him, honors his maker. Proverbs chapter 29 verse 7 says, The godly care about the rights of the poor. The wicked don't care at all. Now, I'm going to challenge you with this scripture. I'm going to challenge all of us. If this stuff can be coming past us every day, and we just kind of say, well, you know, I mean, I got my own stuff. I really don't care. Bob says you're wicked then. <laughs> just, when I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't give you the pad, you know, the easy landing up into this message. So, sorry. 
The godly care about the rights of the poor, but the wicked don't care at all. God's not neutral. If we're going to be godly, we have to care about the rights of the poor. And you know what we immediately start doing? And, and it was interesting when you saw the William Booth stuff. I like, I like that whole quote when I saw that video this week because he says, did they get themselves in that situation? Perhaps so. But it doesn't take away our responsibility to assist, to make it. Now, we can choose how to do so wisely, but we don't get to turn around and say, well, I'm not going to do that. They got themselves into that. What about their kids? I listened to... Uh, that, that Grant's read their podcast. They, I listened to a, a young lady that she was sharing how that she was the unseen victim of what led to homelessness. Her dad, they, they grew up, she grew up there in Oregon and they had a small farm and her dad began to uh, drink too much and became an alcoholic and ended up, somebody knocked on the door one day and dad had sold the house. Through his addiction, had sold their house. Mom and dad end up splitting up because dad can't stay off the sauce. And dad's, dad wasn't abusive to the, you know, wasn't physically abusive, but he would get himself cleaned up. They would get somewhere to stay, and then he'd lose it all again because of the alcohol. He'd go through cycle after cycle after cycle. And she talked about, she said, everybody knew there in Grant's past, must be a small town. She said, everybody knew me. She said, I was, when I was eight, nine years old, said that I would go to walk downtown. And see people and say, hey, where's my dad? And said, everybody in town knew who my dad was. And everybody in town knew who I was. Eight, nine-year-old girl. And would tell him, well, he was drunk over by in the alley on G Street. Hey, he wasn't. And she said, and that's where I would find him. And said, he would always be excited to see me. But he never could get off of it. It's easy for us to go, man, those folks got... And she talked about, she said, she said, here was the thing that always hurt so much. She said, every time I would see him, that was my dad. It was my dad. And she teared up. You could hear it in her voice on, on this podcast. And they were talking about how that... See, we, we look and we go, ah, they've done that to themselves there. But there's a mother somewhere, maybe that's wishing that that her son wasn't that way. There's a brother, there's a sister, there may be a wife, there may be children. The godly care about the rights of the poor, the wicked don't care at all. Proverbs 28 and 27, the one who gives to the poor will not be in need, but one who turns his eyes away will receive many curses. This is another one of those where I, I thought, boy, there could be two meanings there. The one who turns his eyes away, God then may in turn kind of correct. But then again, sometimes when you turn away, you get cursed. <laughs> but he said, the one who gives to the poor will not be in need. That's interesting. You know what we often tell ourselves? You guys know it's true. We often tell ourselves, well, I can't afford to give. I can't afford to I don't have time to give of my time. I don't have extra money to give of my money. I don't have, I just don't emotionally feel like I can give to someone else right now. The Bible just said the one who gives will not be in need. 
Proverbs eleven twenty five. A generous person will be enriched. And the one who gives a drink of water will receive water. A generous person will be enriched. Well, that seems backwards if you're just always giving. I remember hearing an illustration one time about that in essence humanity is like a bunch of people sitting around a table and there's wonderful food on the table but they can only eat with the utensils and the utensils are so long that when they hold the utensil they can't get it back around to their own mouth. And so the only way for them all to take of the food that's on the table is they must feed each other. A generous person will be enriched. Why? Because, I mean, think about it. Give and it shall be given unto you. You remember the rest of the scripture talks about it'll be pressed down, shaken together, and running over. We go, the, 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 the natural man's mindset says, I don't have enough. The spiritual mindset says, you can't hold all that God will give you. Well, I, I got to hang on to what I have. You know what happens when you, take a, when you take a pond and there's water that comes in, but there's nowhere for it to go out? What happens to that pond? It gets stagnant because there's no flow through. It just, everything comes to it and then it tries to hold it and it just gets stagnant. But there has to be a flow. So a generous person will be enriched. Why? Because give and it shall be given unto you. The one who gives a drink of water will receive water. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 17. Boy, now this one I want to talk about for a minute. Kindness to the poor is a loan to the Lord. And He will give a reward to the lender. Anybody ever, you ever really read that scripture before? You don't hear this one preached about a whole lot. I don't know that I've ever heard it preached Kindness to the poor is a loan to the Lord. And he will give a reward to the lender. Now, we go, wait a minute. God doesn't need my... Because if you're just thinking money, I need you to get off of that today. For a lot of people, it's easy to pull a $10 bill out and go, yeah, here's $10. It's easy. I, I almost put a video in today. Of, the video starts off with a man who's walking down the street, and there's a guy there who's begging. It doesn't matter what you... I'm not, I'm not here to debate with you about what you think about somebody begging. But as he goes by, the guy holds up a cup, and he drops a quarter in the cup. And he goes through the rest of the, the video. He's, he, he's going, and he's... I, I was thinking, what, what's the point that they're fixing to make in this video? Because I'm not following it. He, he drops a quarter in the cup. He goes on. He's kind of at a food kitchen. Then he kind of goes and he, he's buying a present. You can tell he's wrapping up a gift, kind of like the old angel tree stuff where the Salvation Army used to be. And then going there and, and giving, and he gives this little girl a doll. And I'm like, I mean, that, he kind of gave, and now he's giving and, and all this. And then they rewind. And instead of him dropping the quarter in the cup, he stops. And he talks to the man. And he's pointing like, hey, there's somewhere down here. And it shows he's walking a man to a place that actually is a mental health facility along with rehabilitative stuff. And, 
And so then the next thing you see is that he goes and he knocks on the door of a house. And well, wait a minute, that was the house he went to before and gave the little girl the doll. And there's a man there and he talks to the man. And next thing, you're fine because you, you don't hear anything. You're just watching the video. And he, and he puts the guy to work. And at the end of the video, the man goes and buys the doll and takes it home and gives it to his daughter. And I was like, ooh, I got the message. I got the message. It's easy for us sometimes to go serve these poor people. Now, emphasis on how we think about it, right? I'm going to go serve these poor people. It's somebody different than us, right? It's like a whole different class of people than us. It's the way we think. We don't like, we don't, we don't want to admit we think that way, but that's kind of what we're doing. Versus saying, man, how do I, how do I take and, and, and really move somebody beyond just I gave a little bit and then I went home and I was good to I helped them move out of their situation. Kindness to the poor is the long Lord. You know, God doesn't need my money. You're right. He doesn't need your money. He doesn't need your time. He doesn't need your talents. He could just do the miraculous if he wanted to. But he has chosen instead to work through us. He has given us the great honor of that we get to become a part of his family. We, 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 sometimes I think we almost forget God, then our Father, Jesus, our brother. Because the Bible says that we become joint heirs with Christ. Yes, Jesus is our Lord and Savior, but we become joint heirs. And we now, that's why God can say, go get my children because then we are the children just as God is the Son. We have been adopted into that family. But He doesn't need it from us. He just chooses to allow us the honor of being a part of that. Because when we serve in this fashion, we are doing just like Jesus. That video of William Booth, he said there at one point, he said he gives us the opportunity to be Christ. Remember, the Bible says it's not I that lives, but it's Christ that lives in me. What did Christ do? Christ came and recognized that you and I were rank, dirty sinners. Christ did not, as William Booth said, Christ did not look and say, Jason, you need to get your life cleaned up before I rescue the perishing. And if you don't somehow get yourself cleaned up there as you're about to go down for the third time in the water, I'm just going to let you go. No, while the Bible says that God demonstrated His love toward us in that while we were yet in sin, that Jesus gave Himself for us. We go, wait a minute, hang on, hang on, hang on. Jesus died. I've been talking about, I've been talking this theme here for about four months. I keep bringing it up. I just need you to see it. You go, I, I don't understand. How could Jesus have died while I was yet in my sin because I wasn't even born yet? I keep reminding you, God is outside of time. And so because He is outside of the constraints of time, when Jesus died on the cross, it was as if all of time was happening in the then for Him. It, was all, it wasn't some timeline. It was, it was all right then. And so while you were in sin, while I was in sin, while our children yet to be born would be in sin, while our grandchildren yet to be born, it was all as if the then. That's why the weight of all 
sin was on him. Because that which was, to, was then, that which was yet to come, it was all present and in the now for him. And so he was able to take all of that sin. And so it is true that when we were yet in sin that Christ died for us because at the moment that he was on the cross, there's an old song a guy used to sing at my parents' church. When he was on the cross, I was on his mind. You were on the mind of Christ. Every, this is incomprehensible to us, but he was very much God. He was very much man. Every person that would ever come to exist, because the Bible says it's not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Every person that would ever exist was on his mind when he hung on that cross. I don't understand how that could happen because that would be billions upon billions, maybe trillions of people. And if you start figuring out, or if it was one second for every person, there wasn't enough seconds, but, but he was very much God. Every person was on his mind. You were on his mind. He has given us this great opportunity. And so kindness to the poor is a loan to the Lord. You know, the, 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 the interesting thing is I almost would describe it this way. God has given us the ability, the talents, the time, the treasures, all of those things, and we are basically giving it back to Him, which He in turn gives back to us. Remember, because the Bible says, remember in Isaiah says, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. In other words, when you expend your strength waiting on the Lord and you become worn out, He will then renew your strength. You loan it back to the Lord and He turns around and gives it right back to you. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. What do eagles do? When a storm comes, eagles just fly up above it. They just soar. They'll run and not be weary. They'll walk and not faint. Kindness to the poor is alone to the Lord. So, if you almost thought about it this way, all right, I have an opportunity to be kind to the poor. Now, I'm not saying you need to pull $100 out of your wallet and give it to somebody. That might be a foolish decision. So don't get hung up on that there's only one way to do these things. But you don't have to be a jerk either and go, I don't give money to no drunk. I'm not giving money to somebody. You're probably out here because you did something. That maybe they did. I did all the sins that I did. And Jesus still came along and said, I want to redeem you. You did all the sins. Nobody made you do it. Nobody put a gun to your head. If it did, you still had a choice. I mean, we don't like that. That little girl in Columbine, she made a choice. They put a gun to her head. Said, you can deny him, basically. And she didn't. And she gave her life. You got a choice. We all had a choice. If we're going to be Christ to other people, then what was Christ to us? Christ to us was the forgiver. Christ to us was the one. Yes, and yes, he said, even like to the woman who was called in adultery. Now, Christ didn't say, well, these people are being all judgmental, so I'm not, I'm not good with that. They need to go on because they're being judgmental. No, he ran those folks off, and when he looked up at her and he said, so where'd all your accusers go? And she said, well, there's, there's none left to accuse me. He said, neither do I, but go your way and sin no more. Change your life. 
I promise you, if God was asking me to loan him something that I have, I'm probably not going to look and go, mm, I don't know, God. I don't like to loan stuff out. Some of y'all, you know, because some of us, we're, we're that way. You know, you, hey, now I loan some stuff out, but there's other things I'm not going to. God comes along and says, hey, I would just like for you to loan your kindness to me by demonstrating it to people who are less fortunate whether that's in their relationships, whether that's in their finances, whether that's in their, 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 their job, I don't know, whatever it is. But God will turn around and give a reward to the lender. Acts chapter 20, verse 35, he says this, In every way I've shown you that by laboring like this, it's necessary to help the weak. This... Yeah. And to keep in mind the words of the Lord Jesus, for he said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Notice he didn't say it's not blessed to receive. He's not, he's not putting down, Jesus didn't put down receiving. He just said you're more blessed when you give. Why? Because that's more like Christ. Receiving's more like us. Giving is being like Christ. God so loved the world that He what? Gave. He's more blessed to give than to receive. But then, I, I, just you got to put scriptures together. Jesus says it's more blessed to give than receive, but He says, "Given it shall be given unto you." Press down, shaking together, running over. But we're operating in such a, a spirit of lack instead of a spirit of abundance. God is abundant. He's a God of abundance. And that means He's going to give you a million dollars. But He's still a God of abundance. It's more blessed to give than to receive. 1 John chapter 3, verse 17 through 18. If anyone has this world's goods... And sees his brother in need, but closes his eyes to this need. How can God's love reside in him? Little children, we must not love with word or speech, but with truth and action. In other words, he says, quit talking if you're not walking. <laughs> if you've got this world's goods and you see your brother in need, but close your eyes to his need, how can God's love reside in him? You go, well, I don't know that those people are saved. That's right, because you had not made an effort to get to know them. That's right. I mean, let's be honest. We, we see somebody, we go, ah, well, you know, I mean, I mean, the Bible says you see your brother in need. Well, then we need to find out then. If you're hung up that they need to be a Christian for you to feel this applies to you, then we better go figure out whether they're a believer or not. You go, well, what if I find out they're not? Then lead them to Jesus, and then you can fulfill this scripture. <laughs> lead them to Jesus. Because that'd be the greatest kindness you could show them because the Bible says that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. And he says if you would be kind to those who are poor, then what's, the, what's one of the most powerful things you could do? Then lead them to Jesus. If they don't know Jesus and you're hung up about that we're not obligated to help people if they're not brothers and sisters in the faith, then lead them to Jesus so you can help them. Give them the greatest help so that you can give them natural help. 
If anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother, well, he's not my brother, then make him your brother. Lead him to Jesus. Then you'll see that he's in need, and don't close your eyes to his need, because if that's the case, how can God's love be in you? Little children, we've got to not love with word or speech, but with truth, with action. Matthew chapter 25, verse 35 through 40. This is Jesus, red letters. But I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger. You took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick. You took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Okay, so let's just, let's just see what the list is here. Hungry, thirsty, stranger, naked, sick, in prison. So if you're going, well, I don't have to help, you know, the people that are criminals. Well, not what Jesus said. Well, they were probably only in prison because they did the right thing. Man, if your attitude is such that you're hunting for ways to not be Christ to people, you need to go meet Christ. We ought, to be, we ought to be finding ourselves maybe ministering to somebody and somebody trying to go, man, this scripture is really just about believers. I would rather us be ministering to people that weren't believers and be in that than to be trying to go, I don't have to do this for anybody if they're not a believer. <clears throat> Hungry, thirsty, stranger, naked, sick, in prison. Then the righteous will answer him. Now, notice he didn't say the sinful people. He said the church, basically. Then the, the church folks will say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and gave you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. I assure you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. It's one of the reasons why we support Chaplain Green. There may be people in our prison that are going to be there for 10, 15 years, whatever. Man, I don't want them to go 15 years not knowing Jesus. I don't want them to go 15 years and then go, well, maybe when they get out, you know, they'll, they'll get their life straightened out, whatever. No, I want them to meet Jesus while they're in there, turn around and be able to use their witness, their testimony of what God is doing to change their life with other people that come in, with their network that they used to be a part of. Let people see their life change. And then when they come out into society, man, what they, they come out of being in prison and they're able to say, I've been twice pardoned. There was a book called Dad, you ought to read it. Twice pardoned. I got delivered by God and then I come out of prison. I've been set free two times. There's a, new, there's a new hashtag that's going around in our community right now. It's N-I-M-B-Y. It's not in my backyard. It's hashtag that's going around, N-I-M-B-Y right now. It's had to do, it started with the homeless shelter, and now it's going on about the, the uh, CBD out there. N-I-M-B-Y. It's hashtag going on out there. The question that we have to ask ourselves, because again, I'm telling you, I don't have an opinion over whether coronavirus people ought to be out there at a facility that has trained for the last 22 years to do this or not. I, I, don't, I don't know what they're, I, I know they train for this stuff, but I don't know what they're. Somebody, somebody's got way more insight than all of us Facebook warriors <laughs> knows whether or not, you know, they're prepared for that. And, 
And for all of us that want to go, well, not in my backyard. Well, whose backyard do you want it in? As long as it's not ours, it's, again, I'm not saying it ought to be. I'm just going, where's it going? Where's it going to be? I don't know. Montana in the middle of a field that, you know, there's not anybody around for 400 miles. I, I don't know. It really doesn't. It's not, not even the point. Question is, do you believe Jesus would say, do you believe his response would be, not in my backyard? Now, I'm not saying that I believe Jesus' response would be, hey, put the homeless shelter in that Beckwood Manor. I'm not saying I believe Jesus' response would be, put the people at, at CBD. I believe Jesus would use wisdom, and I believe that Jesus would evaluate the situation. I just don't believe his response would be, not in my backyard. I think his response would be one of compassion that then would say, I don't think this is the best answer. But there is and needs to be an answer. There does need to be an answer for how do we... Because the churches aren't ministering to the homeless. Ministering to the homeless is not do we show up in, in Zen Park once every six months. That's not what we're talking about. It's, gr it's great that, that all of us do those kind of things. It's, it's a positive thing. But that's not the kind of ministering that, that the homeless need. It's got the, not the kind of ministering that the impoverished need. It's not the kind of ministering that any stratum of society is needing. People that are struggling through divorce or struggling through whatever else, they don't need a, a you know, a, we're going to do a seminar for all day on a Saturday. Okay, that's great. That's great. But how are we going to walk through life all the time together? That's the type of ministry that I'm talking about. That's the kind of ministry that God has called us to. And quite honestly, the church world doesn't do that. We rely on government agencies. We rely on, And that didn't used to be the case. Government agencies had to start showing up and doing ministry with people because the church abdicated their responsibility to do that. The church stopped being the place where people would be ministered to in those times of need. You go all the way back to Josephus. And Josephus, this is back there in... During, I'm not going to say during biblical times because we're in biblical times. But back during the time frame around when the Bible you know, was written, New Testament type time frame stuff, you will see these historians write about the New Testament church, which was the minority religion. Judaism was the majority religion. They were the minority religion. But the, the secular historians would write about them and say things like, they not only care for their poor, but for ours also. That was the legacy of the church that we were given, of people that were willing to die for their faith. Mother Teresa, everybody, want, you know, everybody, if you have a negative opinion of Mother Teresa, God help you. I don't, you know, she, she wasn't Baptist or she wasn't any of this stuff, but I'm telling you, here's a woman who gave her life to work in the leper colonies and stuff. I saw... Someone uh, post. I think Jerry actually shared it. It was Alexa. It was Alexa. Uh, Alexa Pate. Well, you know now. Now she's Shepherd Pate. She she posted. She said, "Hey, we're faced with a modern day version of leprosy in the moment." We're to be wise. We're to make good decisions for our families, but we're also to love like Christ. And these two duties don't have to cancel each other out. 
And the church world is the one that needs to set the pace. Here's the thing. Now we, now we wrestle with. Now the church world wrestles with and complains about government agencies not allowing you to teach them people about Christ. Well, if the church had kept doing 50 years ago, 100 years ago, what we were doing previously, then we would be the ones who would be administering this form of of assistance, and we would be focused on leading people to Christ. But we gave that up. And the government took it over. Threw some tax on there to to take and do what we used to do out of giving to the church. When I was a kid, I've told y'all before, when I was a kid, I grew up, they called them poundings. It sounded like you were just beating the mess out of somebody, but... It was called poundings. It was everybody bring a pound of food. You'd, so we'd hear about it on Sunday morning. There's a family in the community. We've heard their, their house burned down or they've had this or they've had that. And, and the churches would, it didn't matter to your denomination, churches would bring, everybody would bring food, canned food and stuff like that that wouldn't ruin. We'd bring it that night. And the men of the church would load up in vehicles and they would drive over and say, hey, we love you. We love it. They didn't go to our church. We didn't know if they went to church. See, we could make them into a... Because we could go and say, we love Christ. And because we love Christ, we care about you. And we'd like for you to know Christ. But we're going to help meet your need anyway. You got some kids. We'd love to have your kids at church. We'd love for you to be at church. But we want to help take care of you right now because you're in need. While we were yet in sin, Christ died for us. We don't have to either love like Christ or make good decisions for our families. We can find wise, godly ways to even say we don't think this is the best answer and still demonstrate that we care. We tend to focus on this topic when big things occur, right? But what about on a regular and a personal basis? Because... For us to do this type of thing, it is not just doing this when the church decides that we organize something. There's a lot of people that say, well, you know, uh, I mean, yeah, I would would, uh, help out if the church, you know, had a thing. Well, you got a personal relationship with Jesus. And if you're going to be Christ, you need to be Christ in your personal life before you ever think about trying to us be Christ as the church. Because if we're not being Christ as individuals, it's going to be hard for us to come together as a group and be Christ. It doesn't work that way. It really doesn't work that we go, all right, everybody that's in the group doesn't really want to do any stuff, but if we come together as a group, we'll do it. Well, that's not the right. That's not the right way. What should happen? It's why even when I look around and go, well, hey, you know, people, wouldn't it be cool if you had a singles ministry? Wouldn't it be cool if you had people doing youth ministry? Wouldn't it be cool if you had I'm going, well, you know what? There's nobody got a passion for it. We all want it. We all say, I'd be a part of it. Right? Kind of like ministering to the poor. Well, I'd do it if the church organized it. What's, what's your personal? What's your personal relationship with Christ looking like when it comes to this stuff? He said, whatever you do for the least of these, it says, if you did it for God. You know what God is saying? God is saying, 
You have an opportunity when you look around you and you see people who are impoverished in spirit, impoverished in their emotions, impoverished in their time. You, you see single mothers who are trying to, trying to lead three boys in their home. Right? And she needs, she needs some. There needs to be a, there needs to be, there will be a man in a church that'd step up. A grandfather or somebody would say, hey, you know what? Let me, let me spend some time with you boys. Let me, let me help them. Uh, us, us men, we, hey, we should be pulling together and saying, hey, we, let us spend some time with you, with you boys. Let us give them a godly male role model. Single fathers, they're trying to raise daughters. And boy, it would be great if, if women in, in the church world would step up and say, hey, let us spend some time with your daughters. Let us give them a, a positive female role model. Some of you, you know, you've been in that single parent lifestyle. You know how hard it is. You know how, you know how much of a blessing it would have been if somebody would have said, hey, let me take care of your kids for a while so you can just go spend some time. Hey, let us take care of you. Then, then you get remarried. And you'd, you, man, it'd be great if somebody would take care of your kids and let you and, and your, your spouse go and have some time. Because, see, you're just thinking about poor people as somebody on the side of the road in raggedy clothes with a sign. I would promise you today that there are people sitting in these four walls that are poor in something in their life right now. And it ain't because they screwed all of it up. That was the worst English I've used in a while. I used ain't and screwed up in the same sentence. It's just life that's happened. I was at a wedding yesterday. Y'all know I love weddings. And it's the weirdest thing to me that... um, Because it was... David Haynes' daughter, Lauren, was Marion Chase Robinson, and, and I was on staff there at Church of the Cross for four years and when Chase was a little big kid. Now Chase does all the high school uh, sports stuff and everything around the area, and just a fine Christian young man. Lauren is now uh, working at, at Hope, and she's just a wonderful, wonderful Christian young lady. Her, her father, David Haynes, was was my headmaster when I was at Faith, and I came to tremendously respect him, love the man, love he and Carol, and, and, um, and Carol was on the board of Save a Life for a long time, and so every time I see, I still struggle, he's Mr. Haynes, you know, he's Mr. Haynes, headmaster Haynes, and, uh, but man, I, you know, and I'm hugging him, I'm talking to him, and he goes, he goes, Nathan, I'm so glad you were here today, of course, we're seeing all church folk that we used to you know, when I was a worship leader there for Church of the Cross, and it was at Church of the Cross, and then the reception was at Redeemer, and so we got to see a bunch. We know people from both churches, and and uh, Carol, his wife, she's like, "Oh, Nathan, I'm so glad you were here. We just love you guys, and you know, and I know you guys don't don't like weddings." I said, "I love weddings. I don't want people. Why guys don't like weddings? Suck it up, guys. You need to be more. You need to be more emotional." I had my arm around my wife. They were getting into some of that sweet stuff, and I had my arm on the back of the chair. I put that hand over on her shoulder. Uh-huh. Like, girl, kind of squeezed her over to me a little bit. It's like, yeah. I was sitting there thinking I'd marry her all over again. 
I was kind of tearing up as a dad when they went up to pray for, and I, I got mad. I told, I told Lauren and Chase, I got mad because it was just me. Uh, they, they were going up to pray, and somebody kind of got in front of David. He was trying to get there to put his, put his hand up, you know, on his daughter. And I looked over and said, I said, I don't know who that is in front of him, but he need to get up out of that daddy's way. <laughs> need to let that man get right up there beside his daughter. I said, that's making me mad. It's making me mad. I think it was a brother or something. She goes, I think that's one of her brothers. I said, I don't care. He ain't her daddy. He let that daddy get up there and pray a blessing over that girl. He ended up making, he got, kind of got on around there. You know, I was, I was feeling, I was, I was the champion for him, though. I was like, hey, man, I'm watching, and they're talking about, pastors talking about the, you know, it being the representation of the relationship between Christ and the church, and because I'm, I'm a fan of that. Man, and I'm just, I'm like, this is great. And, and man, I was feeling all loving. I, you know, I'm, I'm squeezing my wife. I'm like, this is so great. I love you, girl, you know. Weddings do that to me. You know what it made me think of? It made me think about Revelations 2. Revelations 2. He wrote to the church at Ephesus, and he said, Hey, you do all these things. You know, you hate evil and you hate all this stuff. He said, but I got one thing against you. I think it's around Revelations 2, 4, maybe. He says, he says you left your first love. Now you go, Nathan, how are you going to tie this in? Oh, it's real good. It's real good. I'm going to tie this in for you. Because you know what that made me think of? While I was sitting there yesterday, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, boy, I love my wife sitting right here. I've married her again. Man, we're already past 25 years. We should have done a big 25 year. You know, maybe we need to do 30. You know, at the 30 year. Maybe we need to do something fun at the 30 year. You know, I, I was starting to think about, yeah, I need to do something. I need to do something big, you know. I was getting all excited about it. Because I was thinking about what was it like. Because ours was harder. We started off a little harder. But, but I was thinking about, man, this is so much. This is so wonderful when you're saying to somebody, I love you. I'm going to commit myself to you. I forsake all others and cling only to you. I love all the language of it. It's wonderful. It's spiritual. It's supposed to be. And I thought to myself, man, when you first got saved, I guarantee you, you were like, God, send me anywhere. God, do anything with me. God, I just love you. I want to serve you. I want to. Now you're like, I don't know if I want to help them. They probably got themselves in that spot. See, that wedding made me rethink. When we come back to that first love relationship with God, when we renew that, if that helps us to get back to that where you kind of reach over and kind of squeeze God a little closer to you, go, man, I love you, God. You need me to do something? I'll do it. Because I love you. And we got to find our way there. Because I think that's why we struggle with this. We've moved away from that, that passion that we had for Christ, that passion we had for God. And we got real analytical now, just like the church at Ephesus did. Well, I hate evil. I can't stand people that do this. And I can't stand people that do that. And he says, but you don't have that love anymore. If we regain our first love, do we become more active 
in how we treat people like Christ. I want to give you this quote. I didn't get it exact. I was listening to, uh, to a, another podcast. If you don't listen to podcasts, by the way, if you have to drive or travel any, find you some good godly stuff to listen to. If you need some, if you need some ideas, I'll give you some. And, um, but, man, because you'll get to hear some good stuff, too. You'll get, to, you'll get to hear some stuff. But here was, because the, the faith community, and it's happening right now in our community, is having this problem. We, we're not providing solutions, but we're criticizing everybody else's solution. He had this statement. He said, it's like standing outside a burning house watching other people run in and rescue those inside as we complain about how they're bringing them out. Standing outside a burning house. Man, that one's going up quick. People inside yelling and screaming. Oh boy, I tell you, if somebody doesn't do something, them folks going to die. People run past us to go in the house to get them. They're slinging people over the shoulders. Man, we're going, I, that's, so, that's so disrespectful how they're bringing them people out. Look at that. Got them thrown over the shoulder, dragging them out. I bet I, just getting the clothes dirty and everything. We would, if you were standing, so if you came up on that, you'd go, are you going to help or are you going to what? What are you going to do? Them people going to be thrilled to death. The Bible talks about this in Jude. They showed it at the end of that first video. The Bible talks about it. It says, snatch some as a brand from the fire. It talks about, it says, save some, hating even the garment that's defiled by the flesh but still save them. What would it look like if we truly were loving people like Christ? 